What's up everyone, welcome to episode 16 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I am very well. I feel much better than I did yesterday, I'll say that for a minute, but I'm uh, I'm fantastic, mate. How are yourself? Funny enough, mate, I was just about to mention, so yeah, how are you feeling after yesterday? Because I, uh, I was a pitiful excuse of a man yesterday, I was fucking hell. Yeah, me too, I wasn't really capable of anything. I'm absolutely, like, delighted, in a sense, to say that Bloodstock was my last festival of the year. Because I honestly don't think my body could take one more, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, you've done three, yeah. Yeah, uh, Well, f- four if you want to include All Points East. Oh, yeah, I do. Um, mate, my, my body is just a shell. It's it's screaming for relief. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got to give it some relief, man, because I'm fucking concerned about where this ends if I don't. So I'm Sense. really pleased to say that Bloodstock was uh, was, def- was definitely my last festival uh, of the year. If you haven't heard to us before, this is a fortnightly music podcast brought to you by uh, Noise at Code UK. We're available on YouTube, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere that you can find music podcasts. If you give us a subscription on YouTube, that would be absolutely fucking awesome. Really closing on that 100 subscriber mark, which would mean a lot to us if we could hit. So if you haven't subscribed to us yet, it would mean the world to me if you did. Uh, latest articles up on noise.co.uk. Uh, this, today, actually, this is Monday as we're recording this, we uploaded uh, the Must See Acts at Leeds Festival, which is where uh, one of us is going to be. Um, if you haven't seen the Ready and Leeds Festival lineup, I was very sceptical about it at first. But as they've added bands on, bands like Higher Power, Puppy, Blood Youth, I doubt to remember, Frank Carton and Rattlesnakes have all been added. So I'm all about that. So yeah, there's uh, the top nine acts we think you should see. Uh, we've also got live reviews on Junior and uh, After the Burial, which we're actually going to talk about on the podcast. But my written live review is on Noise at UK if you want to uh, read as well as hear our thoughts. On this week's show... We've got a fucking stacked one, man. Holy shit. Uh, we're going to review After the Burial. Me and Sam were at the Flapper in Birmingham last Monday to see that. We're going to review Bloodstock. We were there for the Saturday. We're going to review uh, Lonely World, new album from Acres. And we've got the new album from Slipknot, We Are Not Your Kind, which we're going to review as well. But to finish off the podcast this week, I finally, finally got the chance to interview Brady from Condra. Now, Condra are a band that I have been massively, massively into since I was randomly assigned their album Maya uh, in 2018. I'd never heard of them before. I was two minutes into the album. And if, uh, you won't remember this, Sam, but I was so like in love with it that I remember sending you uh, some of the drum fills from the album. Um, <laughs> I recall this, yeah. Um, man, that album was just so amazing, so heavy. I've seen Conjurer download and 2000 Trees, but pulled in massive crowds both times. Really, I'm really, really excited about where they can take heavy music. Uh, so my interview with Brady uh, was actually like nearly an hour long. So this episode was going to be, there's going to be good chuck some news and continue your greatest metal album of all time list. But literally me and Brady had this amazing in-depth conversation about uh, music streaming, future of the industry, future for Conjurer, um, Backstory on the debut album, what it's like to work with uh, Holy Raw Records, one of my favourite record labels by Absolute Mile. Uh, and it was just really fascinating, great chat, man. So that went nearly an hour. So I thought to save everyone's fucking brain and agony, uh, if we just um, only talk about a few um, subjects on this week's podcast, we'll be able to give people a chance to actually listen to the album in full, uh, to the interview in full, sorry. Uh, check it out, man. End of the episode, I'm going to chuck it on. Uh, I think if you have never heard of Conjurer, it will make you want to go and listen to them. And if you have heard of them before, look at you. And also, you'll get a real big insight into how the band runs and what they are looking to do in the future, man. So uh, I wanted to give a massive, massive thank you to Matt Benton at Hold Tight PR, who I have 
pestered and pestered and pestered for this interview for several weeks. And he finally just said, you know what, mate, I'm going to sort it for you. Because uh, he could very well have told me to go and fuck myself at some point. So I was really getting out. Like, when can we do it? When can we do it? Uh, he's always so cool to work with. So a massive thank you to him. Um, Sam, you ready to crack on with the show? Yeah, man, let's do it. Dude, we caught after the burial uh, at the Flapper in Birmingham last Monday. Uh, well, by the Flapper, I mean my nan's basement, uh, which was all, which is awesome now. I mean, I, I, it, was, it was actually my first time I've actually been at the Flapper. And a lot of people told me, dude, you know, it's really small at the Flapper. Um, but I, I suppose, regardless of how many times you get told how small it is, you don't actually understand the concept until you're, <laughs> you actually go into that downstairs room. Um, one of the... One of the really cool things about After the Burial is that, like, as far it goes as, like, some of the resurgence of, like, really hardcore techie metal, they're absolutely at the forefront, aren't they? Oh, 100%. But by, by far and away, I think. Just an exceptional band. We saw them support Die Artie's Murder uh, on, on their UK tour in 2017. And I remember me and you saying then, you know, if they got a whole set, I reckon they could really cause some fucking carnage here, and carnage is exactly what they caused at the Flapper, mate. What did you think? <laughs> um, I thought I thought after the burial exceptional. I thought they're... Um, I already thought going in that they were a little bit too big for a venue of that size. I was a little bit worried for my personal safety, um, sort of at the at the outset of the gig, but I thought they were, as, as, as expected, absolutely exceptional. The thing that amazes me about after the burial... Um, Aside from of what you can hear on record, is that live, it is absolutely replicated note for note. And that, Somehow, that, yes. And that's what I'm saying. Like to play metal of that complexity, um, of that difficulty in that smaller place with that uh, potential for sound difficulties and all the rest of it that you can have in small, intense venues, for them to sound pretty much identical to the record, I think is. I, I, it's astonishing achievement. I think um, they were they were brilliant. They were tight. They were cohesive. The the crowd were mental for it. Like there was a really good relationship between the two. I just thought they were they were terrific. They were all business. There was, there was no dicking about. They were just came in. They did their set and I, almost no just no for no perfection uh, as far as as far as as live performance was concerned. And um, what you like to see in a headliner. For, um, is like a marked difference between the um, the, the support acts and then when they take a step up um, and if you don't get that it's a little bit of a concern and that was certainly the case here for after the burial I thought they were just from 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 the moment they stepped onto the stage I thought they were just tremendous you know the thing with after the burial mate even though we've seen them before I was still astonished when only four of them walked on stage yeah how do they not have 17 guitarists I uh, can't believe these are a four piece man he's Honestly, their guitarist is one of the be best I've ever seen. He's absolutely unbelievable. He's the way he basically throws out the entirety of the song on his guitar, like instrumentally. I mean, it, it just fucking astonishes me. Their bassist is equally amazing to keep the rhythm going. The drummer speaks for himself, and so does the vocalist Anthony, Anthony Notomaso. Um, Man, there there are fucking such a really tight, aggressive band, and I remember saying to you that a lot of that one of my big sometimes worries for after the burial was that like a lot of the albums like you can pick out a few good, a few great songs, and the rest just kind of blend into the same kind of material. 
But when they pick out all the best songs from each album and it's all in one <laughs> live show, it makes the live show absolutely fucking mental. I had the best time, man. It was really good and really, uh, you know what, man? A sellout's a sellout. Do you know what I mean? Oh, of course. Doesn't matter where it is. If you sell out, you sold out. And it was really great to see uh, a full room for this somewhat underground metal band who very seldom tour the UK. And you know what, man? The next step here would be what I guess um, headlining HMV Institute. And in two albums' time, who's to say that can't be done uh, if they keep going on the way they're going? All they've got, to, all they really need to do is to throw out at least one song, the quality of either Lost in the Static or Behold the Crown, on the next two albums. And the groundswell will just continue because I remember Lost in the Static seemed to be everyone everyone in the scene or, or someone who had an interest heard about it and the same for behold the crown and even more so i saw it talked about in even more places so uh, i think this they're a band that they're not gonna make too many well i don't think they're gonna reach the artist murder levels of popularity but i can i can see them absolutely hitting that hmv institute um 500 uh, people in a room level uh, for the rest of their careers and that's absolutely awesome and they're absolutely a band who deserve it um they were great, man. Absolutely. Just a, a collection of incredible musicians playing a, a fantastic, really intense, brilliant show for a few dedicated fans. It was it was really superb. And I, I hope they I hope they maintain their ascent. I really do. Uh, moving on to our Bloodstock review, Sam. We were there uh, for the Saturday. Indeed. Now, I suppose this is a little bit of a difficult one, really, because even though we were there for the day, uh, there were major sound issues for some of the bands that we saw now yes that was not actually bloodstock's fault and i i, I thought oh, should we still review them so but i've decided against it um because we're only going to review three of the bands that we saw at bloodstock and that's going to be lotus eight murder and parkway drive because the other bands that we saw i feel like the sound was such to their detriment that it would be a little bit unfair if we reviewed them because you know, for example, Cancer Bats, mate, we could barely hear them. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily Bloodstock's fault because the, the wind was pretty fucking rough. Uh, like, I think I saw on my uh, BBC weather app at one point, it was like, I think it neared like 19 mile an hour, which is um, which is a fucking direct, <laughs> which is quite a bit of wind at one point. So it, that made it really difficult for them. So in fairness, we're only going to review uh, three bands that we saw. So um, we're going to crack on with Lotus Eater, mate. That was the first time you saw them. It's actually the fourth time I've seen them. Um, <laughs> and that's all been this year as well. They have been supporting literally everyone, which is fucking great news to me because I'm a big fan. Uh, what did you think? It was your first real exposure to them? Um, I think they're the sound of, of your jaw breaking, aren't they? As a, as a band representation. Uh, they're, they're they're phenomenal. Um, really, really energetic. Um, really fucking nasty. And um, just the the combination the combination here of the guitarist and the vocal uh, and and the drummer makes this really loud, percussive, deep guttural um, sort of sound that they're they've, they've sort of popularised that has been popularised massively in the sort of the the heavy metal scene and the hardcore scene and over, over the last few months and the last few years really. Um, they're they're the perfect um, mid afternoon heavy metal festival slot because they'll just give you forty minutes of just sort of blended aggression, keep the crowd lively, um, and and keep everyone into it and really swell the pits up and have this fan interaction. I thought they were terrific, really heavy, really nasty, 
Um, it's just exactly what you needed for a, for a, for a metal festival. They are not the atypical band that you would usually associate with Bloodstock because they're very they're much more of a hardcore band than mm-hmm. most of what you would find on Bloodstock's lineup. But you know, mate, didn't he fucking go down perfectly? I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I really, I really agreed. And I think it was a nice reprieve from that. And because I think if you're if you've got a festival where Parkway Driver headliners, you can't cater to only one demographic of metal fans and they did well here because you have to assume if you like parkway drive you like bands kind of like lotus eater or at least that are in the in the same ballpark as lotus eater because people that are into parkway drive aren't necessarily also into crowd of filth those often are two different types of metal fans and lotus eater were, were perfectly suited to, to sort of capture that um that difference in demographic there i thought they were i thought they were tremendous um the guitarist appeared to be dressed like a chef however and that was really disconcerting for a while um but um outside of that um i thought they were fantastic you know for such a young band they've got a superb stage presence haven't they yeah they really really have um it's 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 the it's the interaction it's the interaction with the crowd and there's like a a genuine feeling from the band that i would actually prefer people to hurt themselves yeah, like um, I, yeah, I'm convinced that they actually want to see some injuries, uh, which is both good and bad. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly certainly does a lot for the the event in the moment. And man, Lotus City, if 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 that came in Ron Seal tins, Lotus City would just be just loud, nasty, brutal, slow, aggressive music. It's music to punch people to. Um, which is perfectly suited to a metal festival. I thought they were terrific. I thought they were great. They've got a real future, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I think the future has a ceiling without variation, but right now that could be that that band that that gets the biggest mosh pit. That could be like a hardcore version of Devil Driver. Absolutely, man. Uh, later on in the day, uh, we caught by Artist Murder, uh, a band that me and you uh, recently re- uh, reviewed the new album Human Target. Now, it said this like. It was interesting for me there with with Dottie's murder because I, I was thinking to myself, it was a strange feeling for me watching them because I thought, you know what, even though these are extreme metal, when you compare the other bands that were playing on the main stage on that day, like the Wild Hearts, Cry of the Filth, Anthrax, Cancer Bats, I was thinking, you know what, actually, Dottie's murder uh, are actually out on their own on this stage a little bit in terms, yeah, 100%. Of, in terms of their musical sound. They don't seem like anyone playing on this stage today. So I thought to myself, man, are these going to get going to get like a really like difficult reception for them here? Because sometimes some deathcore can be looked at as so heavy that your standard metal fan thinks it's a piss take or a gimmick of metal. Yeah, uh, such as the difficulty bring with the horizon suffered uh, in their early um, their early back catalogue. Uh, but yeah. mate, let's just let's just call it what it is. Uh, the murder pretty much smashed that main stage. Yeah, uh, they did pretty much everything they could have done for everyone who walked out of that scent thinking, you know what, they're a special heavy band. They are. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think I think it starts and ends with CJ. Um, yeah, he 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 he's the difference between. Thigh Artist Murder and every other deathcore band, um, because the with with all due respect to the other four members, they just do exactly what every other deathcore band do, and they just play the instruments really fucking well, 
and keep themselves to themselves. There's a bit of headbanging, but none of them are, like, expressive. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't get the guitarist with the artist mode to sort of, like, running around the stage, like, Slash or Angus, uh, Angus Young style. It just wouldn't happen. It's not built into their personality. And we spoke to two of their members. Um, they're, they're honestly the most laid-back band to write about murder who've ever existed. They are, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, CJ is almost the inca- the encapsulation of the entire band's personality, I think. And there's a combination of his charisma and his swagger and his Australian-like sensibility in the way that he phrases things that makes him really easy to like, um, which completely juxtaposes the fact that he sounds like a demon like 30 seconds later when he actually starts um is singing the right oppression, I'm not too sure. It starts his vocals. He's probably the, probably the best line I'm gonna <laughs> probably best like does does his thing is the best line I'm probably gonna take. Um I think I I completely agree with you actually that they are sort of on their own. Um I hope that nobody who was watching that thinks that Deathcore is a gimmick. I really don't because um half an hour before Thyatis murder, I saw people dressed up as like dragons on stage and stuff. And if that's not a gimmick, then then I don't know what the fuck is. So it, it has to be taken with a pinch of salt. But what what, hap- what what I was impressed with is that despite the fact that there were wind difficulties, literally for every other band up until that point, Thyart sounded relatively clear as day. Um, number two, the band were typically brilliant musicians once again, absolutely on point. The setlist was was quite varied, which I which I enjoyed. I thought they they gave almost like an almost mathematical equal to every single album that they've done, which I thought was terrific. And finally. The noise that CJ McMahon makes, uh, CJ McMahon, uh, the noise that CJ makes should not be that diff- uh, should not look that easy for anybody. Yeah, he's effortless and it blows my mind. Uh, absolutely, it is such a. It, he is so watchable and so yeah. tangibly followable. I I tend to watch gigs and focus entirely on the musicians because I tend to listen to music and not really listen to the lyrics like. I'm not really a sing-along person. I can't. I spent so long just sort of listening to the guitar lines or the drums because I'm I'm just naturally inclined that way. But I couldn't keep my eyes off CJ there. He's he's phenomenal, and the ease in which he's able to walk around and seemingly like just whisper and it sounds so heavy and guttural was incredibly impressive to me. I think uh, if if you stuck your eyes entirely on the main stage outside of the band we're going to talk about next i think you'd walk away coming away saying man they are his murder that that they're the band that give the best stage presence oh absolutely right. absolutely because cj cj is such a special entity that it's so difficult to come across him i, I do think without him they are his murder would just be another deathcore band he, he, uh, as you've mentioned, just to elaborate on your point, he is 100% the difference maker. I mean, mate, and it was, I'll tell you one thing I absolutely love to see. When they started Reign of Darkness, we were in that massive wall of death, and it wasn't even a request of the band. <laughs> but, oh, that's like, true. The crowd just picked up on, oh shit, it's Reign of Darkness, let's fucking murder each other. Uh, it was an absolutely massive wall of fucking death, it was crazy. Um, the finish on Human Target, which I get, but I, uh, you know, I can't believe they resisted finishing on Reign of Darkness. 
Yeah, or Holy War. Or Holy like, War, yeah. Like third or fourth in the set. It was it, it was a strange one. I get it. I get it, like, because it's a new album. It's a title track of the new album. But, you know, uh, finish on Make America Hate again if you've got to finish off one of the new album or Eternal Suffering, do you know what I mean? It was a bit odd for me that they finished on Human Target, but that aside, um, I thought they did very well considering the weather conditions. They didn't sound absolutely great, but it was good enough to work with considering what was going on around them. And, mate, the crowd were really receptive to it. CJ owned the stage like a motherfucker. New drummer was tight, man. Yeah, it was new really, drummer, really, New drummer really was really, really good. And we said when we reviewed the new album that kind of hoping by the next album that something new, that they're going to need to go in some kind of different direction. Otherwise, they are, regardless of how many sick riffs are on it, they are just going to fall into the pack of, yeah, these are another deathcore band just like Carnifex, just like um, fucking... Uh, um, Aversion's Crown and that kind of stuff and watching them live I think I, re- I, I think that reiterated the point of what comes next would need to be a little bit different if, there's, if they're going to take another step up live regardless of that absolutely fucking sick performance man I really, I really enjoyed them um, I did prefer seeing them at, uh, at Birmingham they need indoors just like most bands that are on the main stage need indoors yeah, I think most extreme metal bands in general. Yeah, um, the atmosphere is just that. better indoors, isn't it, for extreme metal? And, and this is this is the which we'll get to later. But this is the argument for choosing. There are certain albums that work better live, and there are certain types of songs that work better live. And some bands have that in their repertoire, and some don't. I think you set me up perfectly for the next band, sir. Fantastic. Parkway Drive headlining on the Saturday. We spoke at length on episode four, I believe about Parkway's booking at Bloodstock. I said it was one of the best things Bloodstock have done in years. It was the lead reason why me and you said, you know what, fuck this, let's go. Um, oh, yeah, 100%. At that time, we also saw that Dice Murder and Code Orange were on the uh, lineup as well. Unfortunately, Code Orange had to pull out, which fucking sucked, man, because I really wanted to see them. However, uh, Parkway Drive, we said this is the best thing that they could have possibly done. Uh, Parkway Drive are 100% the heaviest of the headline bands. It just regardless of the comments that are on Bloodstock page being like, oh my god, Parkway Drive aren't even metal. When fucking Sabaton and Scorpions <laughs> are the, uh, when Sabaton and Scorpions are the two headliners, I really think you need to listen to Parkway Drive before you call them not metal. And I said that anyone that had that opinion, you just, it was just un- uninformed or just trying to be edgy for the sake of the, the few comments that might get them with the laughing faces. When they, you know, again, they also had to suffer with the wind difficulties. Their set was pushed back 30 minutes, I think. So, yeah. uh, you know, a, a few of their songs I had to cut from the set, I've got no doubt. But regardless of that, mate, what a performance this was, man. Holy shit. They still set off Pyro, <laughs> regardless of the horrendous wind conditions. They still had the balls to set off Pyro. Uh, mate, how great was this, man? Uh, it's just a reaffirmation that Parkway Drive are one of the next bands that, that should be... Um, generationally headlining big festivals for the next 10 years. It's just a confirmation of what me and you have already spoken about. Um, to, your early, to your earlier point as well, and as a side note, um, I would like to see what definition of metal doesn't include Parkway Drive, because unless it's fucking... Oh, there's not enough references to fucking Wizards and Dragons, and we haven't got riffs that dated back into 1985, then I'm, I'm not sure, because this... Parkway Drive are where metal is headed. Architects Absolutely. are where metal is headed. Bring Me the Horizon is where aspects of metal is headed. Um, get on board or, or fuck off, like, um, because the bands that are supposedly, like, 
safe metal or like metal respected by metal fans and the comments section of festivals i'm sorry aren't gonna sell out festivals no they're not you're absolutely they're just they're just they're just just not because because the the these these decisions aren't made in the comment section of facebook posts they're made on the bottom line and they're made financially and parkway drive headlined alexandra palace eight months ago on their own with killswitch engage supporting um, they, they they deserve they deserve to be here and and they have they have taken every musical and business based step to ensure that the leap between the band that they have been in the last few years to the band that they are now justifies it. Think back, Chris, to when we saw them in Nottingham in 2017, and think back to yourself when you saw them uh, with Thy Art Support in the year before. Look at the decisions they've made, not just musically, but as a band to take the step up and and let everybody know, even to pass the eye test, that we're now a headlining band from their stage show to the way that they dress themselves, to the equipment that they now use, to the the way that they bring themselves on stage. Everything now is geared towards we are no longer a normal band. Uh, We are no longer... The Parkway Drive of 2015. We're no longer a middle set, a download festival at four o'clock in the afternoon for the 2,000 people that love us. We are here to headline. We are bringing a stage show. We have brought music that suits our festivals. We think about our set list and play songs that work live. And that's what Parkway are doing that almost no other metal band are doing apart from the really big ones is Parkway are making active decisions to tailor their music and tailor their set list towards the audience. And no, and, and, and I'm serious, no band, has, no band has done it like Parkway Drive are doing it right now since, like, Iron Maiden. Because I have never been, and, I, and, and, and this, in, this includes, like, majority of bands outside of, like, Metallica, I have never been in a metal show where people are singing along to a riff and jumping up and down unless it was Iron Maiden or Metallica. Same. And that is that is huge. And it sounds like an arbitrary thing, uh, but I'm telling you that it's not. When only three bands in metal history have written riffs that crowds sing along to without being prompted, and Parkway Driver, one of them, that fucking matters. It fucking matters because those 30,000, 40,000 people aren't musicians. <laughs> yeah. So it shows that the melody, outside of the vocals has captured enough and the music has done enough to capture these people independently like people sing along to black sabbath and people sing along to metallica so i'll add sabbath in there now i just thought about that uh, but that that's a pretty fucking that's a pretty fucking elite list of people i'm, I'm telling you it just doesn't happen um so parkway drive have slowed down a little bit though they don't play thrashy numbers anymore um they play shorter more powerful um, crowd-friendly, live performance-friendly songs that allows them to experiment with pyros, that allows them ex- to experiment with the crowd and do back and forth. And as a result, they are a better live band than they've ever been. They now put on a better live show than they've ever been. And they're and they are outside of Architects and Slipknot, the best pound-for-pound value-for-money metal band on the planet. That are, that are not Metallica, because and even Metallica really, 
even Metallica really is just a, it's a different generation. So of the 21st century onwards, Parkway Driver up there with 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 Slipknot and Architects for me of all the bands that I've ever seen that I am absolutely 100% concrete certain I will have a great time regardless of what they play, regardless of 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 when they play it, and regardless of what's going on around me. Because twice now they've performed a pretty much similar set list, and I thought they're getting better every time. Parkway Drive are incredible, and this 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 um this performance was just more emblematic of their transition from very good metal band to surefire guaranteed concrete headliners, and that my friend is the most difficult leap for any band to make. Because so many bands have fell down at that point. Machine Head couldn't do it after the Blackening. Trivium couldn't do it after Ascendancy. Lamb of, God, Lamb of God couldn't do it after Ashes of the Wake. Bring Me the Horizon haven't even done it yet. And Parkway Driver making that leap as we speak. It, is in, it, was a, it should be a... I think, I think this tour of Parkway Drive where they're headlining individual festivals around Europe will look back on and will consider that the crowning, a crowning achievement that precedes them being a, a stadium level metal band if they continue the way that they're going it's amazing to think that two years ago we saw them with 2,000 people at Rock City and yeah. you, mate, mate, you remember what we said coming out of that show we came out of that show and we're like oh my god boys that was one of the best uh, one of the best gigs I've ever been so that was absolutely, absolutely. mind blowing but and I was... didn't even think at that point that they'd outgrown it no. I thought that was the right place for them but they've outgrown that now and it was small, and it was fucking intense, and we sweat our bollocks off, and they played a lot of their older songs with a few songs chucked in from Aya. And Aya gave us the prelude as to where the band were kind of going, and Reverence, they went they went full in depth. And me and you both said Reverence, I really like this album, but that's all. I, I, just, I just really like it. I'm not fully in love with it. I don't think this is absolutely groundbreaking for them, but mate, when you hear these songs live, there's they take there, a life of their own, don't there's, they? There's just something about them, man. Like I, I didn't like Cemetery Bloom on the album. I was like, I don't know why this is here. I was like, this is a weird one. Like, uh, you know, I, I understand the building up of atmosphere and that kind of thing, but I was like, this just doesn't fit. And then live, mate, Cemetery Bloom straight into the void is an absolutely fucking just engulfing transition. Incredible, as, yeah. As the song finished, lights go down. Winston says, "In when I hit, when I say fucking three, I want everyone to jump. On three, drop straight into the void. Everyone's singing the riff. Everyone's fucking bouncing. It was really, really fucking amazing, man. You just saw this band, and it, you know, it meant it meant a lot for like people like me and you who've seen them in the smaller venues to grow into this just absolutely fucking conquering band, like." The person next to me, when they were when they were playing Crushed and all the all the massive amounts of fire was going off, they were like, "Oh man, if you love pyro, you should check out Ramstein." And uh, and I, I, I did giggle a little bit because Ramstein aren't really for me. And I thought, "Oh yeah, maybe one day I'll just check out Ramstein just to see the pyro." But I honestly think if Parkway weren't really your bag, I think beyond the pyro, you'd have had a fucking sick time there. Because there's something about the way they managed to get the crowd involved. For example, what you were saying, the opening guitar line to Wild Eyes. They played it for 45 seconds before the song actually started, and the crowd just did not stop singing it continuously. And, 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 and at the end, it was like Memory Remains by Metallica. Legitimately. It was... 
being a part of that crowd was really fucking special, man. Because I, I, I think if you're look, if you're looking at that crowd, and we're, we're going to talk about download headliners yet again, and you're Andy Cupping, surely Parkway only need to re- only need to release one more successful album before you think, you know what? Let, let let's let's give them a whack now. Because where else could they feasibly play on downloads, Bill, apart from sub headline? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where feasibly would you put them? It was just... It was one of those sets that I think you are right. We will look back on and be like, really glad we were there. And I love it when I, when bands prove me wrong. And I, like I said, I really liked Reverence, but I was like, some of it, I've got to say, mm, I, I don't quite understand. I'm not particularly huge on. But seeing, seeing those songs live, mate, truly amazing. Mate, when they bought uh, the violinist out... Mate, yeah. this is a metal show, and it was <laughs> it was it was amazing to see the amalgamation of the two. Like, you know, Parkway Drive with this like operatic, like kind of enigma of their own kind of thing. You know, you've got these four fucking violinists playing along this absolutely undoubtable metal band, and what I like what I liked a lot about the set was. They didn't play Carry On, which is one of my favourite, favourite Parkway Drive songs. And somehow I didn't miss it. They played Karma really, really early. And somehow I didn't long for it at the end of the set. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. S- somehow that they pitched this set around a lot around the new album that I would probably say is my fourth favourite Parkway Drive album. And that was probably the second best time I've seen Parkway Drive. Yeah, even though they, they they centered most of the set around an album that I'd probably say is my fourth favorite to listen to of, of their albums so for me like I'm going to look back at that set for a long time and think you know what anyone that was doubting Parkway Drive's ability to headline this festival surely now will either say you know what hands up I was wrong or just won't be able to admit that they were wrong because even if you don't like the kind of music that Parkway Drive play you watch that set you see how many people turn up to sit to watch it and you think okay you know what they are capable um really really amazing set really really amazing band I can't wait to see what's next for Parkway Drive I hope they keep proving people wrong I have full faith in the next step they will take I think that the next album will be Probably another build from Reverence. They will find another way to build these metal songs that bridge into straight-up rock, but still with enough Parkway energy about them to make them unique to the band. And there's, as you've mentioned, there's very, very few metal bands who have been able to go from. You know what? We can guarantee right now, if we put a tour on sale, we will sell out 2,500 uh, um, 2, uh, size venues. Then, then managed to take the leap from that to, you know, we could do arenas now, comfortably. Uh, yeah, uh, very, absolutely. very few, and Parkway have managed it. So, and, and, and there were people in that show, there were people at that festival that were there to see Parkway, and there were people at Alexandra Palace that were not going to those shows when they were touring Deep Blue. Absolutely. And they were not going, correct. you know what I mean? Since 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 Irie, the, they, they, have, they, they have taken a new fan base. Because, because you know what, man, like, let, let, let's... To use your expression, let's call a spade a fucking spade. Extreme metal doesn't sell enough. I'm sorry, it no, does it not. It does. It does not. If you want to headline festivals, you've got to lighten up. It's why pop music is the biggest fucking um, 
genre in the world. It's not because the government's trying to take your to trying to take extreme metal off the radio like someone on a toilet wall tried to convince me at Bloodstock. Um, it's because people don't always like music that makes them feel uncomfortable. It just doesn't. People like music to be relaxing and and rock music has a uniting feeling in a way that metal does not and rock music suits festivals in a way that metal does not. Only Slipknot have maintained proper extremity while getting to that sort of size and that was almost out of notoriety as well as the music as well and even when they did volume three then they started headlining festivals and things like that so that's we'll talk about Slipknot later but um with 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 Parkway they have correctly recognized and correctly found the balance that loads of bands have tried to do and fucked up massively um between like you said man in the Parkway drive feel because the songs still feel like a Parkway Drive song, um, they do. Yeah. It's still, it's still, it's still got that style of guitar notes and 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 those riffs and Winston, and it's just a more refined version. And they still play some heavy tunes. They still play some nasty stuff, and they would have played some more of the of the more metal friendly songs had they been allowed, had they been allowed to. And when they're headlining and playing sort of two hour shows in the next. A uh, few for few years, as, as as they have every chance to be, they'll have more chance in their set list to sort of dig back. And I mean, in ten in in a year's time, there might well be a tenth anniversary of Deep Blue, and that's when you can check in and check out and stuff like that. But right now, Parkway Drive have got their moment in front of them, and they are fucking seizing it because they're not settling and they're really brave, and they don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks. And I love that. They feel like a special band, not just musically now, and that's so important. Yeah, I completely agree. Because special bands musically is one thing, but special bands in general, oh, this thing is coming through town, you need to see it, is much more rare. Because after the burial, they're special musically to us. Do you know what I mean? But Parkway Drive are are just a special band that you need to see now. Much like that girl turned to me and mentioned Ramstein. Ramstein is like a band now I'd be curious to see because it's Ramstein and they've got such a reputation. Parkway Drive are getting there and I think one more album, a couple more big tours and they're going to be up there with the Ramsteins, with the Guarantee Festival headliners and they fucking deserve it. Bloodstock, they absolutely fucking smashed it. Uh, They absolutely suited the main stage. Uh, they absolutely suited headlining. They absolutely suited being the number one marquee band on that fucking festival bill. Uh, amazing band, amazing performance. Unbelievably ready for what comes next. 100%. So moving on to album reviews. Now, this week, we are going to do an album review on uh, some alternative rock. Reason being, we haven't really done a lot of alternative rock reviews. Absolutely in, not. S- since we started doing this podcast, we've done a lot of metal uh, surprisingly for me as well, we haven't done, we haven't done a lot of pop punk. In fact, we, I don't know if we've done any. Um, we've done a whole lot of metal, a whole lot of metalcore, a whole lot of deathcore. So I figured, you know what? Let's fucking <laughs> let, let's chuck some fucking alternative rock in there, man. Because alternative rock is an is a genre that I really love. Um, so this is Lonely World by a band called Acres. Sam's gonna throw this one out to you, man. See what you think of this. Um, would you have liked to see you meet Six take this direction? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, man. I, I think this would have suited you, Mister Six, if they'd, if they'd have tried this kind of stuff. I really liked this. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, this sounded like um, a combination of Fight Star and Holding Absence. Mate, that is an absolute shout. Um, like because the vocalist here sounds like Charlie Simpson in a very, very good way, and they've got that 
melancholy, energetic rock sound pretty much fucking down. They've nailed that. Um, but really, I was captured from the moment I heard the introductory track, the instrumental with the piano. I knew you'd like that. I knew you'd like that. Because you know what that tells me, Chris, is that's a band that's trying. Yeah. That That's a band that's putting effort in. That's a band that's trying to create something more. Um, something more than just, you know, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe it might be opening up our ears to some more alternative music would, would be very good. Because maybe I think over the last few months I'm a bit punch drunk with metal. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think, and I think I'm starting to notice that because this was, this was a fresher breath, breath of fresh air, I think, actually, um, to hear this type, this type of music again. Um, I think the vocals were transcendent. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, I thought the guitar, while not incredible musically, but, perfectly suited uh, what they were trying to get across here i thought these were a collection of really well structured songs really well written really well mixed like consider i'm listening to this on soundcloud this this band sound like they've been in a studio for a long time this sounds really really impressive really polished the vocals were tremendous um just i thought it was just a real emotive real powerful album um now i'm not saying it's the most varied album in the world and by track nine I was like, all right, this does sound like track eight, and which sounds like track seven. It was all very samey. They've got a vibe, but at the same time, um, when you come across an album, you, you you do want a bit of consistency as well, and you want an element that this is like all part of a similar theme and a similar direction. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Um, I just think I just think Acres are, are really good. This this is this is really this has really warmed me. I really I really enjoyed this. It's um, vocally really brilliant um, because. I, it's difficult, I think, to get that balance between truly melodic to the point where it's a, it's almost unnecessarily poppy or overly poppy, where it becomes a little bit cringy or gimmicky, and too heavy, where it sounds like I'm listening to deathcore. The bridge in between is hard. That 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 tightrope is hard to walk, where you're sliding from chorus level vocals to you're not quite screaming, but you're sort of shouting or singing with a bit of an edge, a bit of a growl. Um, these guys have got that absolutely nailed down. I think this is a collection of, of impressive songs, and I really enjoyed it. You know what, man? I think you listen to this album, you can hark back to how important Semper Paternal was, man. Like, okay, I, I, that's, a, that's an interesting take. Okay, I, I hear bits of Semper Paternal in its electronic atmosphere all over this. Less less about the breakdowns, but more about how Semper Paternal managed to take like more of an electronic sound and give it a really thick rock edge. This is a really, really good, solid alternative rock album, man. This is not... This, again, I, I was much like yourself, caught really off guard, and there's absolutely massive choruses on Sharpen Your Teeth and Be Alone. Absolutely. Um, and really, honestly, this band have got <laughs> no right to sound this polished and this, uh, this fresh, really, because... This is a band that I think they've only been together for something like four years. They've had a vocal, ch- they've had a vocalist change in that time. But this really feels like an album to me that has been really like longed over. And they, while while you are correct, there isn't a massive amount of variation here. If they can just stumble upon, you know what? Let's just set a blueprint for ourselves in the first record, and then see how we can develop it in the next album. Then I think this could be looked back at as an album that could be massive, massive success for this band because they've got a really good vocalist and they've got a, a group of musicians behind them that are incredibly tight. And by the sounds of it, they're they're prepared to experiment with a little bit of electronic sounds, which eventually can 
become tiresome if it's not done in a creative enough way. But throughout these ten songs, nothing becomes out of a bearing. No. There's a great balance between uh, between the rhythm and the melody. And I think this is an album that you that is a really, really solid piece of work from a band that came out of nowhere for me. But I, I am genuinely uh, excited about this band. I think that they do fall into a category with other rock bands of their ilk at this time. But that's expected, you know, with, with your first album. And they could really create create a new, a unique zenith for themselves out of this. If, if, if done in the right way. And even if not done in the right way, you know what? These can easily make a career out of this. Oh, absolutely. But the thing is as well, you're absolutely right in the sense that this puts them in the category with other alternative bands. But that's what you want to do in your first album, isn't it, really? Absolutely, man, yeah. You, you want to get in that door. You want to be considered alongside. You want to be thought of as, all right, these are your peers. These are these these quite easily could fill a gap that Alexis on Fire have left and Yumi at Six has left um, and, and, join, and join other bands of their ilk. Um, and yes... Um, I, I, now I'm thinking about it. Now I've listened. Now I've listened to it again. If you meet six that have gone in this direction, I think their career would have gone much better. Yeah, like the reason why, why I said you meet six going in this direction because the the last album six was better than uh, Night People. Although to be fair, could it have been worse? Yeah, that's kind of like saying TB is a bit better than Cancer, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, and, and, <laughs> And this, I think, would have suited them a bit more uh, down to the ground in terms of Josh Franceschi's voice and power. But I don't want to make this review about what New Mix 6 could have been. Oh, of course, yeah. Because obviously, for me, it's about what Acres are. And Acres are a really good, solid, alternative rock band. I would like to go a bit more in-depth on it. However, uh, I am very, very conscious of time. So we'll just leave it with... The album is out now. Uh, Check it out, please. It is called Lonely World. I believe that anyone who's got... Just an ear for melodic music in in the confines of rock will have a really good time listening to it. Massive choruses all over it. Um, really, some really decent variation on the electronica stuff. Um, I'm really into it. I'm looking forward to what comes next. Um, really but, but Sam, let's let's move on to the fucking main event, man. Um, Slipknot, uh, one of my favourite bands, uh, one of your favourite bands, uh, the biggest superstar band of a metal of the 21st century, undoubtedly. I mean, I just don't think anyone could even consider arguing that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, we Are Not Your Kind is their sixth, that is their sixth album. Yes. It comes five years after the Grey chapter, and whenever there's massive album releases, I do like to start off with a few quick-fire questions for you when you give me the old one-word answers. Okay. Um, so, Sam, do you prefer We Are Not Your Kind to the Grey chapter? Yes. Do you prefer We Are Not Your Kind to All Hope Is Gone? Yes. Okay. Interesting. So, what I will do is I will give you the floor first to tell me what you're thinking about this album. And then I will come in shortly after. Uh, Sam, We Are Not Your Kind, what are you feeling? Um... Let, let's uh, actually pre- let's preface this, actually, with okay. uh, your dad purchased this album. Yeah, and your your dad is not a, a, a you know. A, he wouldn't a, have purchased a, Iowa. That's certainly true. yeah. <laughs> he's not a modern metal fan, uh, but Slipknot, Slipknot are that kind of band where obviously your dad's like, oh, they're a massive metal band. I'll I'll, I'll see what the craze is about. Yeah. Um, and actually, just before I let you go, I, I will just mention, um, produced by C- Greg Feudelman. Do you know the last album he produced, Sam? I don't. Hardwired to self destruct. 
Okay. So Greg Fordelman, a producer that has worked with bands recently that are the band that kind of would have admitted to themselves are past their best, but just trying to do the best with what they've got. And in before <laughs> that's about to lead to one of my points, so I'm not going to start. Uh, Sam, what are you thinking? This is an unremarkable album, isn't it? Um, the the th- the the way that I feel about it is yes, it's better than the Grey Chapter. It's better than All Hope Is Gone, um, but those are not great albums either. Um, yeah. This is, in my opinion, a collection of Volume Three album tracks. It sounds like really um, there are some good singles. Unsaint is obviously terrific. Um, Solway Firth is a good song. Uh, Critical Darling's really good as well, and I quite like Orphan. Um, lo and behold, the, the ones that are heavy, the ones where Corey sounds angriest, ones where the drums are intense, the ones where I actually hear a little bit of the additional instruments that Slipknot are really famous for, like the, the DJ scratching and the additional percussion, and the bits where, like I said, Corey sounds like a spitting, raging monster, which which made Slipknot who they were. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be in that group of people um, because I don't want to be called out for the idea that, well, it's never going to be the first album that I know. I know it's not going to be Slipknot. I know it's not going to be Iowa. I understand that. It's 20 years beyond. But I just wanted it to be really good in its own right. And what I felt like this was, was a combination of a band trying to do something it either couldn't because the individual members' lives are going too well to be as nasty and as horrible as they were 20 years ago or um they've settled into writing habits that are not as constructive to great slipknot music as it is for great music in general and i think what they've got here is a very good the very good very decent rock album that has a couple of singles um, is going to chop up the Spotify charts and give them another excuse to tour, but does nothing else. Doesn't move the needle for them. Um, doesn't change the perception of Slipknot. They're just a big band that produ- have produced a big sounding album that ticks requisite boxes. If you just listen to it on a surface level from start to finish, you think, yeah, that was all right. It's a Slipknot album in it, but like, you're not meant to think that with Slipknot, and I don't care if it's not as heavy as previous. I'm not sort of, that's what I'm going for. Slipknot, it should just be good. It should just be brilliant because they're a fantastic band. Because vo- I think Volume Three is superb, but it's nowhere near as, as as dark as the previous two. Because I think when they can get their heads around, they can write some of the most appealing rock songs and metal songs that've ever happened in the last 21st century. I just think this is unremarkable and i think that's the biggest insult (laughs) that i can think of for slipknot is that it it just sounds like a normal metal album and doesn't really go any further than that i think as well i liked that they went back and thought all right what made slipknot great is those weird stuff and the transitions and things like that but you can't facsimile that you can't just work on some strange stuff behind the studio and just throw out an album and, and hope that that people will be convinced that it's 2001 again. Uh, no, that it needs to be genuinely unsettling and not, not like pretend unsettling. And the, the sad songs and the stuff that makes people think needs to make people like shiver a little bit, not just roll their eyes in the same way that that acoustic number did when I heard it. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like, here's the, here's the sad bit and here's the transition bit. And it, it didn't, it didn't put me on edge at all. Um, and the metal songs were all good. 
I'm nodding my head along the Solway Firth. I think he's really good, the Orphan. I think he's really good. Um, and Critical Darling, I think he's a real highlight. It just didn't go any further than that. I, I, I... Slipknot have peaked, and they are still capable of producing good albums, but not no longer any great ones. And um, if you ignore the first two albums, because they were a different band with a completely different set of personalities, um, since Volume 3 onwards, they've been a rock band. But these are good but not great rock albums and I, uh, rock songs at this point, I think. And I don't think I would put Solway. I don't think I would put any of these songs on Volume Three either. I don't think they would. I don't think they, they are any any better than Opie of the People or The Nameless or anything like that. I think some of these are better than um, All Hope Is Gone. I think it was Psychosocial and a bunch of also ran songs in the same way that I think Grey Chapter was the negative one, Custer and a bunch of also ran songs. Slipknot, um, they won't ever do it, um, and this is a random one, but this would have been an incredible EP um, if you just put four songs off this album together and just released those. They'd still sell out. They'd still sell out arenas everywhere, and they'd still headline. I just wouldn't have to... I just wouldn't have to listen to the other eight and think, oh, I wish this was better. It just sounds like not enough brutter stretched over too much bread a little bit. Like, they've got three or four great songs that they can write together as a nine piece once every couple of years but the rest of it I think is is tough for them and I think it's something to do with either their writing habits or the fact that a lot, a lot of them are in their mid to late 40s and they've lost Joey Jordison who was a key part of the writing and they've lost Paul Gray who was another member of the writing and what they've got instead is Corey Taylor writing all the songs which which means they, they do sound a bit stone sour and they do sound a bit light and they, they write choruses that suit Corey Taylor's voice and they have those little points where Corey Taylor sort of sings in a mid to high pitch register in the background well that's not that's not Slipknot and um, I don't know man They've, it's a good rock album and it's it's a C plus album and uh, I really wanted it not to be like I tried really hard to love this I just can't is it fair to say that Unsainted is the best song they've written since Psychosocial? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, my it's thoughts bit... on the album are, are, are somewhat similar to yours, but in others, um, I do disagree, which is why we do this. Cool, man. Let's go. I think it's great to see that Slipknot are still experimenting um, because Red think... Flag... Sorry. No, no. Um, it's right because Red Flag. Listen to the riff on Red Flag and tell me that it couldn't be on Iowa. Yes, it could. Um, it, because in terms but the song of, though, but the song could the song. In terms of its actual quality, um, no. But was anyone ex- again harking back to was anyone oh. ex- was anyone expecting? No, oh, no, of course, no, of yeah. course. But what, what, and the reason why I've made that point is that people would be like, oh, it doesn't sound like Iowa. Red Flag does. But I tell you what, no Red Flag wouldn't have got on Iowa, and that's why I'm glad that this isn't Iowa 2.0, because I don't want it not to do Iowa 2.0. At the end of the day, Iowa has been, gone, and was amazing. This is Slipknot now. Slipknot doing 11 songs of Red Flag would have bored me towards the end, because it wouldn't have been able to withhold the same intensity as Iowa or the debut album or parts of Volume 3 
did because how could it? That's not yeah, possible. They're, they're not, in they're their not, 40s, not in, it can't be done. Yeah, they're not in their 20s and incredibly angry. I, I, completely, I, completely, I completely agree with you there. So, as, as a replacement for that, that's where they try to become a little bit more experimental and try something a little bit different and try to keep it within the realms of Slipknot. That doesn't make it automatically a great record because I think this is better than All Hope Is Gone. I think it's better than The Grey Chapter, but that's where it ends for me. I am yeah. I, I am with you in the sense of uh, this is fourth for me. Um, yeah. Volume 3, Iowa and the self-titled record are above this. Uh, not always in that order. <laughs> depends, what day, depends what day you ask me on. Um, but... And, and for me, I think, as we mentioned when we were talking about Unsainted, I think that's the best thing you could have realistically hoped for from this, right? Because at the end of the day, as we, as we mentioned, it's unfair to expect this to sound anything other than um, Volume 3 turned down a bit because, hello, they're in the mid-40s. I think Spiders is really interesting. The way they the way they, they build around that chorus, you know, everything here sounds different. I, I, I don't think anything on here could be on Volume 3 or Iowa because the tonality is just totally different. Heavy in its own way is what I think this album is. Um... I think one of the greatest examples of differentiation and experimentation on this album is A Lawyer's Funeral, because Slipknot have done slow songs before, but they've never done one as atmospheric as Lawyer's Funeral, where the slow no. percussive build into the really heavy drum hits while Corey's um, not even less than screaming in the background. Um, and I was listening to that and I thought, you know what? This is legitimately new for Slipknot. This is actually different. I I've never heard them doing this before. And exactly the same with Nero Forte. I remember I was listening um, to the album while I had a spare hour at work. And the opening riff to Nero Forte came on. And I, I almost like, like lifted my head up like, here we go. That's fucking Mick Thompson right there. Getting about to fucking rip my neck off. And then as it builds in, the chorus pitch is brought down in, t in kind of intensity by Corey, but I kind of love it because it, you know, I've never heard Corey sing at that pitch before in a Slipknot album, and I, lo I like that it's different. It's interesting that it's different. Y you know, while while you, much like me, you, you know, you've got that kind of bloodlust for Slipknot to sound like the nine psychopaths in the room, but I honestly don't think that that you would enjoy that if they were trying to do that for an hour because this, no, no, this album is an hour, an hour and four minutes this album is so mate I don't think you'd enjoy that in 2019 not, I don't mean Slipknot being nine psychopaths I mean Slipknot in 2019 trying to sound like nine psychopaths I don't actually think anyone would enjoy it I think actually people would look at it as Slipknot taking a step back whereas this this is actually something completely different where you can judge this record kind of on its own because it doesn't sound like anything Slipknot have done before while at the same time you can tell it's Slipknot and I know that sounds like a really ridiculous journalistic thing to say no I understand it sounds like a really weak point but no one's got a guitar tone like Mick Thompson it, you can always tell it's him yes um, no one has got a fucking a kind of vocal dexterity quite to the pitch levels of Corey Taylor but you can always and you can always tell it's him so when they come to their sixth album and they're still happy to, you know what, let's just try something different, then, you know what, man, I'm all about that. And at the end of the day, no, mate, this album isn't going to isn't gonna take Slipknot to the next level. And you know why? There is no next level. The, the, the next thing for Slipknot is to be worldwide stadium band. And you know when they do that? When they bring Knotfest around the world because they've already done it to most countries. 
I would be absolutely astonished if before 2024 we don't see Notfest UK at some form of stadium. Um, and then that's it. Then and then Slipknot will have reached the pedestal of pretty much every metal band could have wished or the, the, the maximum they could hope for. And this album won't be the catalyst for that success. The catalyst for that success will be the first three albums. You know what? Just like 90% of other fucking metal massive bands. <laughs> uh, because obviously, you you know, you've got your entire life to write your first record and you've got two fucking years to write your second one. Uh, and obviously, and so on. So, I think this album is a very, very good rock album that bleeds into metal. But you know what? It's absolutely different. You won't hear another album like this this year. And you won't hear another Slipknot album like this. They're... If you put a gun to me and said, do you think this is Slipknot's last album with the current lineup?" I'd probably say yes. Um, because, That's interesting. Because in your 50s, man, I don't think Slipknot ever, would ever want to be a band that have to even consider the idea of phoning it in. And if we're at the point now where Slipknot are still experimenting, that's exciting because it means that Slipknot are still happy to get into a room and be creative, just like this album is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm absolutely in love with Critical Darling. Um, and my favourite song on the album is Red Flag. Uh, it's absolutely fucking ferocious, that is. And Jay Weinberg sounds absolutely brilliant on it. Um, but what, what my point is that this was... F if in five years... I think Slipknot, a fair amount of their members are going to be in the, either really approaching their 50s, in their 50s, or I think Clown will be approaching 60, because I think he's already 50 now. Um, so he, I think Clown will probably be start approaching 60 when then when they come for the next album. So if they were to do it in five more years. So that's why I think there's a, there's a, there's the outside chance that this is the last album with the current lineup, And if this is how they go out, then you know what? Fair fucking play. Because they went out doing an album on their own terms where they didn't have to phone anything or try and pretend that they were Slipknot in 2001. Because they're not Slipknot in 2001. They are musically a different band now. But still, I think, hearing Unsainted Live will kick off and that goes without saying, it's easy to forget that All Out Life wasn't on this album. But that's a really big song and they've put it in all of their set lists now. I think Red Flag could sit perfectly in the middle of the set. I think Nero Forte could sit well at the end as like a precursor to the last five songs which always fucking kick off. I think Spiders is really interesting. Um, I've never heard Slipknot Branch anywhere near that kind of level of atmosphere. The same as Liar's Funeral. I think you could easily look back on this album and say, you know what? No, it's not in the top three, but it was something different. They tried something new. It's still a really solid album. I think you could play 80% of the songs on this album to anyone. And you'd get at least a headbang out of them. Yeah. I think, I think Corey sounds good. I think Jay Weinberg sounds good. Mick Thompson, Jim Root always speak for themselves. Uh, there's... Man, I, I always love when Slipknot fuck about with the DJ scratches, man. And there's a, there's a bit more of that in this album than what I was expecting. I think this is not the absolute best we could have hoped for. And I do think that when 
and we said this at the very like on the very first episode of the podcast. I do think that the news stories and the members coming out in the public saying it's the heaviest thing since Iowa is a little bit of a red herring. And when you look back now, I don't know whether you remember me saying this, but I said I really wish they wouldn't say that because <laughs> I, I, I know it won't be. But now they've said it, they've got me thinking. Oh, I really hope it is. Um, so I wish they wouldn't have come out and said that because I, you know I think they're kind of doing a, like <laughs> they're stooging themselves, kind of saying that. Regardless, obviously that's uh, the music industry. They've got to build up anticipation and music sales. I think this is a really solid good metal album that isn't going to be the make or break for Slipknot because they're already at status where they can't be broken. But what it is is it's going to give them. Four songs that can very easily slip into the set. That is going to be a nice little breakaway from all the songs that you've heard before. And you know what, man? If this is a band that have been going for 20 years and are still happy to be in a studio and sound completely different to anything they've ever done, then, mate, how many metal bands have actually done that? The immediate one that comes to mind is, of course, Metallica when they did the Black Album. And off the top of my head, mate, I'm struggling almost immediately. Uh, the Blackening comes to mind. And then again, mate, you'd have to give me a few minutes to think of the next one. And you know what, mate? If you're in a category with fucking Metallica and Machine and after 20 years of being around, you're doing something right. I guess so, mate. I guess so. But, I mean, I'm not into giving great artists participation trophies um, for trying. And I think that's that, that's 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 what we'd be doing there. I think I think that um, that while it while I, I am glad that Slipknot aren't phoning it in, and while I am glad that there is music that resembles good Slipknot songs on there and things like that, it's nice to hear that they that they're putting the effort in and they're they're trying and all that sort of stuff. That's great. Um, but my respect for them doesn't make the album any better. Yeah, no, the, just, and, and I said that as I started, just because yeah, this course. is experimental doesn't make it a great album. I don't think this is a great album. I think this is a really good, solid album, which is an interesting listen, and it's at least different to everything they've done before. Some yeah, people yeah. are losing their mind over this. NME gave it 10 out of 10. Um, that's cool. I'm glad that NME are showing an interest in this type of doesn't music. Doesn't that tell you everything, though? It's, it's their most unremarkable album, so an unremarkable area of the music press loves it. Well, yes, I mean, that is a good point. <laughs> but um, I, I think that no experimentation doesn't always equal greatness. But what it does for me is equal me at least finding an interest in this album. As weird as it sounds coming from me, who absolutely adores heavy music, I, I wouldn't have been interested in Iowa 2.0 in 2019. No, we've already, so, we've already got it. There's no point doing a facsimile of it. I agree. So, so hearing this for me is great. I, I, I really like this. I think I could be listening to Red Flag, Critical Darling, Nero Forte, Spiders, Orphan, and Solway Firth, which I haven't mentioned, and of course, Unsainted for a long time. Unsainted is the absolute takeaway golden classic from this album. And I feel like if I would have said to you in January, on, I've just heard the next Slipknot album, there's going to be one absolute immediate Slipknot classic on there, a few sevens and a few eights, you'd have said, I'll take just that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So, that is the the standard end to the episode of this week's uh, Noise Podcast. Now, we usually wait two weeks between episodes, Sam, but next week, uh, Killswitch Engage's album comes out, Sam. 
Oh, we're so, going to have to listen to that then. We will be doing a special episode just reviewing the album. Now, we haven't got the album early. I sent out as many emails as I possibly could, but it hasn't quite worked out for us. So, much like we slipped not because we couldn't get that album early either. Uh, you, we, you, you will be listening to this episode by the time you've already heard the album, so it'd be interesting to hear other takes on that record before me and you give ours. Because usually, funnily enough, like we're actually like out there before other publications started writing up or, or publishing their reviews. So it'll be interesting that we're going to do a one-off episode uh, just reviewing uh, Kill Switch and Gage's new album. Depending on what we think of it, I might end up asking you to throw in some of your uh, top 100 greatest metal albums of all time list in there as well. But at the very, very least, the next album that you see from... The next album. The next episode that you see from us next week will be us reviewing the new Kill Switch and Gage album. Do stick around because my interview with Brady from Condra is following straight after this. We will be back in one week's time. We love you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. We love you. Bye. So I'm now yeah. joined by Brady from Condra. Dude, how are you, man? I am good, thank you. How about yourself? Mate, uh, I'm exceptionally well. It took a long time for me to be able to uh, sort this interview out, as I was, I was just telling you before we went on. <laughs> um, but, mate, the last year of your life, this is going to be a difficult one for you. Uh, try, and, try and sum up the events <laughs> in the last year since uh, Maya came out, man. It's been, it, it's a really weird one because like I've been a, a music fan for the majority of my life that I can remember, and since I've kind of like gotten into rock music and heavy music, I've always wanted to be in a band, and now at the point where I'm doing all of these things that I dream that I'd be doing, like, you know, t touring abroad and, and playing festivals and shit like that. And, and doing them not as like a, like a consolation, you know, you can go do this tour, but you'll play to no one, or you can play this festival, at you know, 10 AM on the, the burger stand outside the, the arena. Like, you know, it, we're doing it properly. And it is, uh, uh, both overwhelming and kind of exciting uh, all at once and I just try not to think about it too much um, like we were we were driving back from uh, a rehearsal in Manchester with um, for the Curse These My Hands project the other night uh, myself and Dan and we drove past a sign for Donington Park <laughs> and it, it just hit me I was like huh, we played there that's awesome and then I was like what like it just it kind of reminded me of when me and him would first like hang out in my basement or cellar cellar it's a cellar um <laughs> and like order horrible takeaway and just like hang out and talk about music and and write and that was kind of how we wrote the ep and most of maya like years ago and we never had any expectations for it so i think i'm just trying to keep that mindset in that you know, we've we've completed our bucket list, you know, pretty much the day Maya came out, maybe like maybe when we played a couple of festivals like Art Tangent for the first time, but you know, all of the stuff we're doing now is way beyond anything I ever expected to do. So you know, I'm I'm extremely thankful for having the opportunity to do this and you know, like if it wasn't for you know, my family and all of our families and our label and PR and all like, all of the people that help us, you know, do this stuff. I know it wouldn't be possible. So it's it's quite easy to stay grounded 
um, I think. So I think uh, the year for me has been the year that I'd always, always kind of vaguely dreamed of, but never expected. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of Donington, uh, I mm. saw you uh, both download and trees this summer, which both of them oh. you unsurprisingly absolutely crushed. And because <laughs> I'm such a nerd who hasn't got a life, as as I was le- as I was leaving the stage, by the time you played, I really paid attention to like what people were saying as they were coming out. And you, you know, uh, less so at trees because I feel like more people in the tent already knew who you were at trees. But yeah. download, there was a lot of holy shit, can't believe they were so sick. Um, <laughs> have you noticed that groundswell starting to really? you know, um, proceed forward at the, uh, specifically at festivals you're playing on the size of the crowd you're pulling in. Yeah, I think so. Like it, it kind of, for us started at 2000 trees last year. It was like the first festival that we were lucky enough to headline the, the new stage. And, and we were like, <sighs> we clashed with creeper, which I was fucking gutted about. Cause I really wanted to see them. Yes, um, band. but it, it, it was, it was like, why have they given us the slot? Because we're playing a festival that isn't entirely about heavy music, and you know it's our first time playing it. It's just I, I can't imagine it working. And we came out, and that that's probably our favourite set that we've ever played as a band. Um, and it was like we got our first crowds, uh, our first like crowd surfers and stage divers, and. Really? and it was like full and there were people there that knew the words and uh, you know had come specifically to see us and and for for us that was like a bit of a moment so uh, like kind of building on that it's been very very surreal uh, i think i think we can be confident now that we can turn up to a show or a festival and there will be people there that want to see us like uh, i'm not kind of like gonna be stupid and say yeah no one cares it's like people do care and that's, yeah, that's pretty fucking cool but it's never like there's never a time before we go on stage where there's a little part of me that's like there's going to be no one there like there's <laughs> always always in the back of my mind it's just like oh cracking people have turned up like it's, uh, i walk on stage with a, a, a little sigh of relief <laughs> you know it's usually within the first year of, of a band like just releasing like the first ep ish um mm. they're like they play every single show they can get whether it's a pub uh, whether it's a, a garage basement the, for any show they can book themselves on they'll play but mm. for you guys you guys have picked up so much momentum that really you can probably i assume that maybe you could pick and choose where you would play and when you would play but have you are you still like no we'll just play every single show we can no matter what because it's a show and there's gonna be people there um so the the album came out last year and the ep came out in 2016 i want to say did he pick away in 2016? Well, I, re- I, re- <laughs> I remember um, reviewing Maya, uh, and my brain is telling me uh, 2018. 1st of July 2016, our EP came out. Yeah. So, um, we'd been gigging, like, aggressively since February 2015, to the point where... I, there was a point where we were playing, like, two shows every single week for a year and rehearsing for three hours a week so like for us it, it's like it's like that that uh dragon force thing when they got um featured on um 
Guitar Hero. Yeah. And then I saw them on the tour after that, and they were like, so cool to see all of you here. Where have you been for the last 10 years? <laughs> like, it, it, obviously, nowhere in that extent, but, you know, people have been saying, like, oh, Kundra, you know, they've come out of nowhere with this album. And it's like, well, we've come out of, like, 500 shows <laughs> into yeah, yeah. doing the album. And, and for us, it was very much play literally everywhere play on any bill you can get on and and um i've actually got uh a spreadsheet that has every single show we've ever played uh, and like on on what date and then um like the lineup of all the shows as well no that um, is awesome yeah and it, it's cool and like uh, our first start one two three six shows we played in Birmingham, Milton Keynes, Leeds, two shows in Central Wales in Neath and Martha Tidville, and then Wellingborough. None of those are places where we live or have like a local. You know, it's not like we're, we're playing our local pub in in rugby, which is you know the most central place to all of us, and bringing like you know just playing to our mates. Like we we decided we were going to go out there and play to complete randomers that's what we wanted to do uh, and it wasn't really until god it must have been just going like seeing how far like until like august of that that year so we'd played what you know 30 shows in the first few months and it was at that point that we started people would be like oh so you know they're a local band they're not just this band that have come out of nowhere and and then it kind of started to build from there and yeah it's just very very strange that people think that a band's genesis is their first album and i do it myself though like if if i'm if i'm listening to a band and um kind of looking into their history and i'm like oh wow they they only started in like 90 oh their first album was in the year 2000 and it's like oh but they started in 1995 and it's like yeah it kind of it kind of, kind of makes sense yeah but you have especially that like the the better bands i think spend a long time kind of working on what they do it's not not an, a hard and fast rule but you know generally i think bands spend a long time working on what they do and road testing it and and kind of perfecting it before they get to that kind of brand new breaking band stage you know the first time i uh, came across you i was uh writing for a, um, a website and they were like you're reviewing this this month and i was like cool uh, and i listened to it and i was like holy shit i can't believe this how sick this is like thank <laughs> you for giving me this this is amazing obviously i'm referring That's to cool. I'm, re- I'm referring to maya um yeah. i remember i was listening to an interview that you did and i forgot uh, which publication it was for but uh, you said that you do some stuff differently on the next album, whenever that would be. Um, mm. And I, and I was actually quite surprised because I was like, I can't believe this is this band's first album. This is ridiculously refined. This is the hardest Thank thing you. I've heard in, in years. Um, <laughs> so is there anything specifically that you're happy to tell me <laughs> that mm. you would do differently uh, uh, when I, it comes to recording a new record, if and when? I, yeah, I don't know. Like, we haven't really been told what we're allowed to say and what we're not, but right. I, I, we're all pretty open about everything because like i think our band is far beyond the point of having any kind of cool points or mystery or anything like that (laughs) Um, but 
I guess for us, it's weird because half of the stuff on Maya was written before we did the EP. Like, we could have put, like, Wretch or um, A Flesh Weaker Than Ash or Hadel or there's another track on the EP. We just happened to pick those four songs. So um, it it was quite cool when we finished the ep it was like right we've already got the basis for the album you know we didn't really stop writing we just the first three years of our band pretty much was writing for the album with you know four tracks dropped out for the ep it wasn't until after we'd put Meyer out and spent you know a few months touring and were starting to think about new material that we were like we have no songs, like literally. <laughs> so it it wasn't a case of, oh, you know, we just carry on finding songs that work with this. It, it's a, a blank slate, and we're we're big believers in not doing the same thing again. In that, I I, I have this frustration with bands where I love a record so much, and the next one comes out. Part of me wants them to just give me another 40 minutes of what I loved so much about the first album. And then every time a band does that, I'm like, well, what's the point? I've already got, I've already got that last record. Absolutely, man. Mate, I totally get that. I am yeah. so, I'm so similar to that. It's the, the, the kind of, yeah, being stuck in the middle of that. So for us, we will drop anything that sounds too much like something we've already done um and have done with a few different bits like uh, we t- tend to write in guitar pro so we'll kind of tab up a load of riffs sit together put them all together into a song get it into a practice room work on it get it back into guitar pro kind of and, and build it up like that so it's quite methodical um and there have been a few in the, in the last few months a few times where me and dan have sat down and just listened to he's got you know 50 to 100 ideas of just bits that are written and go that's good that's just a bad version of that off that album that's a better version of that but we have already done it like and, and just kind of weeding it down to till we get to the point where where we're happy with with something and the happy is it's it's something that's exciting to all four of us and it is distinctly different from ideas we've done before um and that is pushing us like in a a slightly different direction to maya um i think dan who does the majority of the writing has been listening to way more kind of dark more experimental stuff so like sumac and daughters and you know give give me the the playlist for roadburn last year i guess would right. be you okay. know it, it's it's way more you know we were listening to converge and mastodon and gajira when we first wrote maya so it, it, if those influences have given us maya then i think we're going to try and do the equivalent with a lot more i guess darker stuff like Guitar-wise, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, that doesn't sound like notes. Like that, that's not that's not a riff. That's just a sound. Um, and I don't think it's quite 
as in an extreme way as a band like say Frontera do, but it's yeah, it's definitely a bit more experimental. It's a bit less kind of precise and I think we've finally thrown off the last few um shackles that we had to our metalcore days which I think are prevalent on Meyer and the way we've done it and it uh, yeah it's it's very it's in like the very early stages like we have two songs written that both still need some work but I think it is going to be on the whole a lot more difficult a lot more sprawling and kind of intense and just less fuck yeah this is heavy and more oh god what am I doing with my life <laughs> I, can, I can relate um, you know I'm really excited that you said that you know because as much as I love Maya and Maya 2.0 I certainly wouldn't have been complaining yeah. it's it's really cool to hear a band that are as young as, as yourself still be like now you know what we've already done Maya what's the point doing Maya 2.0 Let, let's stretch ourselves and try and see how far we can go with, with different ideas and that's yeah. that is that that gives you such a, a much further potential career span uh, because you can have one section of fans that loves Maya and one section of fans that loves the other the album that comes next and it, yeah. allows, it allows everything to congeal together to one huge fan base that eventually just loves everything man um, yeah and I'd one of, think so one of the reasons why I was given your record is because of how much I love Holy Raw um, okay cool and the they seem like the perfect label for a band such as yourselves to work with. Um, in hindsight, and this might be a difficult one for you to ask, but I am just curious. Um, do you picture your career as being any different if you hadn't accepted the offer from them, or someone had come, else, someone else would have come along, or you'd have gone totally independent? Um. Like, can you can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine about like what the band would be like if it wasn't for? Holy or, or is that such a foreign concept to you by now that you can't even think what it would be like? It's very much a foreign concept, but also I Holy Raw was where we wanted to be since we started recording the EP. Like I, I think very much we didn't expect anyone to want to put the EP out, so we were in our minds gonna write it, record it, just self release it and you know, just so we finally got something, you know, some music out there that isn't a crap demo and, um, you know, some CDs to sell. That that was kind of the only thinking behind it. And I remember very specifically, we were in a hotel room for the night in Watford when we were recording the EP and we were just sat around eating pizza and um, listening to... Svalbard and Employed to Serve and um, Holmes maybe and just saying like oh these bands are all fucking sick like and Jan was like yeah they're on this label called Holy Raw and I think Dan had heard of it but I was like what's that and kind of checked it out and it was like fuck this is exactly where we need to be I remember tweeting uh demos at Alex and they were like literally funnily enough we'd recorded them with our now bassist Connor who was just a mate of ours at the time um, and they were just like super rough program drums, program bass 
uh, demos that we did at his uni accommodation. And um, yeah, we'd sent them to them and they hadn't either hadn't responded or had said, we're not interested. And um, it wasn't until, you know, the conversation that night was, oh, maybe in like four or five albums time when we've established ourselves, like Holy Raw might be interested in working with us. And I think that that came from having no perspective at all on the music industry. Like none of us had ever had any real success in any band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, when uh, Lewis, who um, mastered and mixed the EP, passed it on to Alex and he was into it, it was like, well, that's that's a, a box we never really expected to tick done. And um, I can't see anyone else giving us the um, care and attention and having the belief in our band from day one that they have and um you know when we signed to them i I thought it was going to be you know they'll give us a digital release they'll you know say hello once and you know we'll just be happy to be there and it was the exact opposite of that you know we were emailing every single day for the first two months and um they were kind of pulling you know punching for us in in every respect and it was an unbelievable experience and it's still like that to this day you know um if there's something we need that a a similar example a, a band that i am friends with have been trying to get some uh copies of their album on cd that are sat with their label in a warehouse and have been struggling no end to do this and when we got the tour in america um just Ian was like right what do you guys need over there and i'm like well we're gonna need cds and vinyl but we can't fly them over there ourselves and she was like don't worry about it we'll cover the cost of the cds the vinyl and shipping them out there and you can pass back out of record sales like whenever and like things like that that we just couldn't do on our own and it's not even just the money it's the the fact that they've gone with our new album you know we've said (laughs) i sent alex an email uh when we started thinking about album two going right we've got some ideas together would you be interested in doing album two do you want to hear some demos like should we have a chat about it and he replied a one-liner uh, we are putting your album out no matter what. <laughs> man, they, they're just the best, aren't they, man? They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, and and obviously it helped that Holy Royal had a ridiculous year all round last year. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 there's nowhere else in the world for me that um, shares our ideals and shares our way of viewing music and the music industry and how things should operate in the way that Holy Raw do until kind of meeting Monty at Nuclear Blast who are pretty much exactly the same <laughs> um, certainly at our level so for, for kind of our next album I, I can't think of two in well I can't think of a team of people in Alex, Justine, Sam and Monty that, that have 
a better understanding of who we are and what we want to do and you know uh, I can't see anyone else being as supportive as they've been and continue to be you've kind of already answered this I guess but you know, record labels generally get quite a bad rap in this day and age because the the Shit. general the general perception is the suit the suits the, you know the executive suits in the boardroom that don't care about the artists or the fans they just want to <laughs> see the record sales and take their cut yeah. wherever they can. But you know, if you can, just try and and sum up just how useful uh, it's been to have a, a label like Holy Roar on board. <sighs> At the end of the day. All we want to do is, like, go out there and play shows and, um, you know, write music and, and put it out. That's all we really want to focus on. And having Holy Roar and Nuclear Blast on board, just they get that. That's all they want us to do because they are co- they have enough confidence in what we do to say, right, if we let this band do what they want and focus on their music then the money will follow and you know the sales are there uh, i think it might <laughs> this might be a different conversation if maya had flopped or you know <laughs> we'd, my, my <laughs> we'd not sold any copies of it you know i don't know and i know that we're we're very lucky in that regard it's it's much easier to have a good relationship with a label that you're making money for as opposed to one that you're not. So, you know, I, I know that it's all well and good me just saying this, but you know, that that's the situation that we're in. Um, I think we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't have been able to, to afford to do like vinyl or anything like that. You know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to take that kind of stuff on tour with us. There's so many doors that Holy Aura have opened for us and, and yeah i i think that i've kind of taught myself in circles here <laughs> now the point stands there man i i could let people talk about holy roar all day so i've got so much respect for them man yeah a small yeah. point did you check out that new throwers record uh, yeah yeah mate amazing yeah <laughs> Yeah, so heavy, I, uh, so heavy. Yeah, I'm hoping they come over to the UK soon. Yeah, mate, you two on the same bill, and I, I think I'll swim across an ocean to see that shit. <laughs> um, just back to uh, when you were recording uh, Maya, you yeah. mentioned that you were really into Converge and that kind of stuff at the time, yeah. which makes sense, man. I mean, mate, when I was listening to it for the first time, I, I was like, holy shit, there's literally everything in here. There's like, I can hear <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, I can hear like Bay Area Thrash, there's atmospheric metal. Um, are you a band that you write, judging from what you're influenced by at the time, such as, uh, you know, hey, Rob Flynn was listening to a lot of Rush before the uh, Machine did the blackening. Is it similar mm. for yourselves, like whatever you're listening to at the time potentially shapes the recording process? I think, yeah, definitely to an extent. It's it's difficult only, I, I really see the first two releases as one process, so it's difficult coming into it. This is only our second time giving it a go, but what's what's quite funny is that the four of us don't agree on any music. You know, me and Dan have the most similar tastes, but uh, you could go on our Spotify's and think there is no fucking way these two people are in a band together. That's um, cool, and man. That's cool. Even more so when you throw in Jan and Connor. And I, I think part of it is that we brought, we brought, we draw from such a wide 
palette of influence that it would be really difficult to become a Gajira ripoff band because like our drummer doesn't really like Gajira. So nice. if we were trying to bring in rip-off ideas of that, he'd be like, well, this isn't very good. This sounds like that band that I don't like. And if we were trying to rip off... I'm trying to think of another band, like... Uh, in, in, insert heavy sick metal band here kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chances are that half of us wouldn't like them. So yeah. what what we kind of try and do is look at ideas and techniques and approaches and just I don't even think it's a, a, a conscious thing it's not like I'll go oh Machine Head did that really cool thing on an album 10 years ago like I uh, let's use that in our music it's more that we'll try and write things that we like and then we can go back and look at it and go ah oh, that's kind of the machine heady bit that's the Svalbardy bit that's the omsy bit like it, it's it's more i think a retrospective thing so what we're trying to do is just write stuff that the four of us like <laughs> that's that's really it and it is way more difficult than i think any of us expected when we first started um yeah uh, yeah, influence, I think, is a really interesting thing because uh, I think nine times out of ten, you can look at a band and go, okay, well, the four of you or five of you clearly grew up together and you all like Pantera because you're really good mates and you sound like Pantera. And, you know, you guys are cool, but you clearly grew up with Bullet for Valentine and Trivium because you sound like Bullet for Valentine and Trivium. Uh, yeah, man, I, I get, uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. It's... It's fine. It's not a judgment. It's just that that isn't enough for us. You know, we have all been in those bands. You know, my my old band was a mixture of Green Day and The Darkness, and you could very much tell. <laughs> I was Dan- not expecting you to give those two bands. Yeah, I know. I know. I get that a lot. Uh, and like my band before it was very much Bullet for Valentine and Trivium meets Slipknot, um, or you know, I was trying to be. Um but but it was very obvious from from, you know, just listening to a song and you know, Dan's old band were much better but were very much a metalcore, melodic death metal band and you you know, that they wore their influences quite quite boldly on their sleeves and that's just not enough for us that doesn't do anything for us it's it's all well and good like a couple of the songs that we dropped um before we we did the ep were like one of them just kind of sounds like the black dahlia murder and revocation like very much sounds like those bands and it was like well this is a good song but it doesn't sound like us (laughs) is it sounds like two other bands and i'd rather sound like 30 different bands than three i think is the trick to um the trick to to doing your own thing well funnily enough you do sound like 30 different bands because <laughs> yeah. there's like 60 different uh fucking pieces of music that make uh yeah. make make them michael meyer um yeah. i think it's about trying to make them coexist in a a way that doesn't just sound like a mess i think that's that's the difficult thing one of 
the the main reasons why I wanted to just have this interview outside of Maya's amazing. Let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> is your stance on music streaming uh, now? It's actually perfect timing that we're doing this interview now because it's just come back into the uh, into the fray, I suppose. Uh, oh, yeah, music we're streaming. <laughs> um, so I loved. Uh, your guys' stance on music streaming. I remember a few months ago, maybe towards the start of the year, uh, mm. that you put out a tweet uh, because it had just been released how much artists actually make off Spotify, and it caused yeah. quite a stir because uh, you know obviously no one needs to know it's a low mm. amount. You know, look at the numbers. Oh, I actually found out how much we make off Spotify, and like, yeah, it's not it's not the end of the world, but everyone going around saying. Sorry, it's not amazing, but you know people keep going around saying, "Yeah, great. How will I spend my twenty pence check for the year?" And it's like, well, we've made more money than that, and obviously, like, I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I've kind of cut you off there. But the thing that I take from Spotify is that I can, fuck, I'm gonna do it while we're chatting, and go onto our Spotify for artists and see where we're getting played all around the world and it, it's it's crazy you could not do that in f for a subgenre like ours without a huge label backing if it wasn't free <laughs> like you know you you couldn't get uh, our band uh, getting you know this many listens uh, like, you know we've we've had what was it there you go. Uh, I know this is kind of like dead air right now, but I, I, th I, th I think I checked. You've got like eighteen thousand listeners this month, I think. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and you can see audience. There you go. This is the one. Um, I can see where our streams are coming from, like top countries. So we have more listeners in the United States than we do in the UK. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is insane, and then. Uh, it's the United States, UK, Germany, Canada, Australia, Netherlands, France, Spain, Sweden, Belgium. Like half of these are places we've never played. Um, it, it means that we can go to somewhere like we went to. We, we did this tour of the states earlier in the year. There were at least a couple of people at every show that had specifically come to see us because they'd heard us and been able to listen to us online and spent you know a lot of money at our merch table. That is because of Spotify and streaming. See, yeah. you make a great point there, and that's what your tweets were about. You was you were saying, um, you know, we're not saying that streaming isn't bad for music. We're just saying for us, streaming mm. has been amazing. So, yeah. you know, you tell me how how useful has streaming been to Conjurer? I I think that obviously it has meant that we make less money from our music but i don't care like yeah. realistically i would much rather our music get listened to by what was it last 28 days 6.1 thousand people in america who are absolutely not going to buy, go buy our album you know, would not have been able to hear about us, you know, would not have gone out and spent £10 on a CD or £20 on a vinyl, whatever it is. Um, it would have been dollars, realistically. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's amazing. And I am 
constantly overwhelmed by, you know, messages on our social media from people that our album has had a, a genuine effect on that I will probably never meet. You know, I will probably never see. Uh, they're, they're people that, yeah, so some guy was like, can you please come and play in the Middle East the other day? And we were like, well, I'd love to. But, you know, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, things like that. It's it's like that would not have been possible maybe 30 years ago if we had a major label backing us and giving us loads of money. Yeah, maybe. But the chances of that happening are very low, especially for the kind of market that we're going for not that we're going for a market but the kind of music that we make it, it's even more unlikely um my favorite thing about I, I go with specifically spotify because it's the one that i use but yes yeah, um, i'm sure there are other streaming services are available <laughs> um, like, yeah um things like being able to sync your tour dates with your artist page i remember when we did the conan tour um Last year, loads of people were coming up to shows going, I saw you at Bloodstock or I saw you at another festival. And then I, I was like, oh, that was great. So I went to check the music out on Spotify. And then Spotify said, oh, they're coming to play near you in a week. And it's like that kind of stuff. They then went on to spend, you know, 30 quid at the merch table. And it's like, well, what are my options? It's either... I have a CD sat on your shelf that you may or may not listen to um, that then you have to go out of your way to find out where we're playing or find out more about us. Or I can have someone log in, listen to us in seconds, decide whether they like it. If they do like it, they can listen to all of our stuff on all of their devices 24 7 they don't have to be near a cd player they don't have to you know set their uh record player up you know they can wake up in the middle of the night go t- at 2 a.m and go i need to listen to maya by Kundra right now and they can do it within seconds and then not only that they will get told when we're coming to play and it's it's so much uh, i think it's so easy with the amount of music that there is <laughs> that the amount of music that there is in the world trying to keep up with who you want to go and see um you know is is difficult i miss bands coming through all the time because there's just so much going on if you're getting an email or if it's popping up while you're listening to an artist that they're playing near you it's like a it's a time and a place thing you're suddenly then i'm listening to this i'm loving it right now i can buy a ticket to go and see them for me that is a way more impactful way of um uh, of marketing to people than say a facebook post or a flyer that they they pick up they go oh cool i'd love to see that band but you know i'm i'm doing whatever now you know they're not in the mindset of really engaging with your music um so yeah uh, for me it's I, I prefer it like as a I'm into way more music than I would ever have been if I had to buy all my music I've got you to know, say I, that's the I, same for me as well man yeah I, I don't especially now I'm I'm self-employed and I have basically no money all the time <laughs> I can't afford to buy you know my, my when I was working it was 
I'd buy, you know, I'd listen to everything and then buy the the albums that I really like on vinyl and you know go to shows and and pick up merch because that's where bands actually make money. Um, as as I'm sure you've seen that while she sleeps T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so fucking bang on the money. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I did a little fist pump when I saw that yesterday. Um, that is awesome, and I love that yeah. band as well. Yeah, so so. Um, but yeah, like, I, I just think that people getting bitter about Spotify either are of the generation where that wasn't the done thing or are just so unwilling to embrace where the music industry is going that they're going to get left behind regardless so you know it's it's not ideal but yeah i i love it i i listen to so much music all of the time um because i i have access to it and i'm aware of how lucky i am to be in that position it's really refreshing to hear a someone in your position because you're on the front line man you're a young band that have done one record yeah, <laughs> like what, 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 one L, full LP, yeah. and obviously the EP. You're on the front line, man. You're the ones that have, you know, you're trying to make a career out of this. Um, yeah. And for for me, it's like, you know, Slipknot. I've got a new album out tomorrow, and I would love to buy the Slipknot album, but my new laptop hasn't got a CD drive. My PS4 doesn't play CDs. It's like <laughs> it would literally be me spending twelve pounds to do nothing with it. Um, yeah. Which you know, I just it's just not feasible, really, is it? So like, and like sometimes it seems like I ha- and I've bought loads of Slipknot merch because they're one of yeah. my favourite bands and that kind of thing. But not necessarily just because Corey Taylor said it in like in his in his uh, Twitter rant, which you know he wasn't wrong about. But uh, you know, sometimes I feel a bit guilty because I'm not buying records. But it's like. Man, like, what would I do with it? What would I literally do with a CD apart from just read the rec- read the lyric sheet a couple of times? Um, yeah. so it's man, it's it's really refreshing to see a band in your position, um, say that kind of stuff. And I, forgive me I, for not knowing this prior, but have you guys made the jump from uh, work slash band to now you're just the you're just the band, God, or I or are you I all fucking wish. Um, we've not even made the jump to paying ourselves for anything yet. Like we, uh, we've made the jump to paying for our own petrol, uh, (laughs) for, for pay for the band paying for our petrol. And sometimes the band will pay for our food if we don't get food included in, you know, whatever show we're doing. So, yeah, uh, (laughs) it is, we're in this fucking ridiculous position where, Two of us have lost our jobs or not been able to get jobs because of band commitments. Yeah. A third of it, or Connor is potentially going to lose his job, at the, or almost certainly going to lose his job at the end of the year because of band commitments. And Dan's lucky that he works for his parents, so you know it's a lot more flexible. But we're losing jobs to do this. <laughs> we're not making money. You know, the band is self-sufficient. Um, and you know it we don't have to put any of our own money into it now which is amazing like between uh, having a a label and you know selling merch and stuff like that it it sustains itself so we don't really have to worry about that which is insane you know that's that's more than i ever expected but i'm now at the point where it's taking so much out of my personal life that it would be nice to be at the point where I could walk away from a tour with some money as well. But I don't, 
I don't care. I fucking love it. Like it's we, we all do. Like it's it's a a, a passion project. Absolutely. You know, it, it's never going to be anything else. But if if it ever developed into a, a job, I'd be perfectly happy with that. You know, I, I'd be um, overjoyed, and it would take a lot of the pressure off. But it, we play. We're essentially shouting over down-tuned guitars. It, it's <laughs> it's ridiculous that it exists, let alone it's a thing you can get paid for. So I'm under no um, under no illusions as to what what uh, what we're doing. So the band haven't necessarily come together and said, right, it's time for us to quit our jobs. It's just been the natural progression of you've you've committed so much time to the band that yeah. you've lost you've lost jobs along the way. Yeah, um, yeah. So for for Jan, it was, um, can I have unpaid leave for a US tour? No. All right, I'm going to quit. Uh, <laughs> I love for that, me, man. it was. Uh, my company actually went, the company I was working for actually went under just before the tour anyway, but they were going to say that they couldn't take me on when I got back, so kind of not the end of the world. Um, and, and Connor has been told that he can't take the unpaid leave for our tour at the end of the year, so he's uh, just going to do the tour and, and see what happens. Like, it, it's it's weird you know, we have discussed if, you know, what it would take for us to quit our jobs. And it would be that we would have to be earning some money. Like we all live with our parents, which is quite lucky and pathetic. Um, but we would have to be earning some money and we would have to be on tour a significant amount of the year. So that's kind of where we're at. But, like, I'm looking for work at the minute and it's like well i can get a job but i need most of september and all of october off <laughs> and and employers are just like sorry what <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's just it's not feasible and i've started working kind of self-employed doing kind of uh band management and um i'm going out with a band in for basically all of december doing merch and uh i've done a bit of driving and stuff for bands so you know the, there's enough stuff that fits in with the lifestyle that that you can find to do but it's it's difficult you know i'm I, I stay in most of the time and just avoid spending anything you know my my netflix account and my spotify account are my are my weekends now <laughs> yeah it's it it's hard but at the end of the day like i know next week we're gonna go and play art tangent i'm gonna have one of the best weekends of my life and yeah. i'm gonna play two amazing sets and i'm gonna see all my friends and it's gonna be like this is why i do this you know it, it it's we get to do incredible life-affirming stuff all the time I, I, you know i'm just about to book our flights to go back to the states to to play in places that i never expected to be able to visit let alone do a gig there with you know legitimate bands that i've been a fan of like revocation i've been a fan of for years and it's like all of that stuff is life experience which you can't 
buy. You know, I, I could get a job as a. Yeah, I, I went to a very good school and could have got into a pretty good uni if I wasn't a musician loser. And I could have gone on and focused on getting a job that was going to pay, you know, a reasonable amount of money, which many of the people from my school did. But I'm now in the position where I'm doing this stuff at an age where it's really matter. Uh, just all of these things that are going to stay with me for the rest of my life and experiences that I, if I told 10 year old me that I, that this year was happening, how it is like, he'd have literally shit himself. Like it's just <laughs> so unbelievable. And I'm just so lucky to, to have this opportunity that like money, fine, whatever, you know, if we have to pack it in in four years' time because we're literally broke and we can't afford to go on tour, then fine. It'll be like, all right, I'll get a normal job knowing that I've done all of that. You know, I can I can, uh, I can, can give in and uh, check in for the man knowing that I said fuck you to the man for 10 years and it was fucking amazing. You know what, man, just picking apart the bounds of what you were saying there, something tells me that you wouldn't have it any other way in terms of, like, in terms of, like, the grind that you've got to go through. I'm guessing the second you walked on stage at Download, man, you thought, you know what, I can grind every year for the rest of my life if I just get get to do this once. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was, like, it was one of those moments, again, clashing with Clutch. I was like, well, no one's going to be there to watch us, so... Doesn't doesn't really matter. Yeah, it'll be fine. And like you know, the, the tent was full, and I was just stood there like I was out there like a few years ago, like not even like contemplating the idea that I'd get to come and play this. And yeah, it's it's very surreal. Um, yeah, I think. Um, I think that I, I would have it another way. I'd love to get loads of money for doing what we do. That's That would make my life infinitely better. But living within reality, it's like, well, it's just not going to happen. So fine, I'm just going to do do our thing. I have taken taken up uh, an extreme amount of your time, which I'm, I'm really grateful that you've given me. So I've just got a, a couple more things I just want to ask you. Yeah, Um Going slightly back to the streaming side of things. Yeah. Um, quite a hard question for you to answer, but do you have any thoughts or any ideas of what the business might look like in 10 years? Because 10 years ago, um, I was not streaming music. Um, mm. I had absolutely no idea that such a thing as Spotify would exist. If you had <laughs> told me uh, 10 years ago, uh, by the way, man, the last album you'll buy will be in 2015. I'd be like, what do you mean? Am I, am I going to die? Because <laughs> I, I, I would have just assumed yeah. I'd be buying albums for the rest of my life. Um, so with you with you guys being on the front line, any ideas of what you think it could be like in 10 years? Any chance that um, Spotify becomes redundant just like listening to music only on YouTube seems to have become somewhat redundant? I, I don't know, because like YouTube never felt like the zeitgeist in terms of listening to music it always felt like a bit of a compromise in that even now like uh, if i'm listening to something on youtube and it's in another tab on my browser i feel wrong not watching it 
like just having it there to listen to music it never felt right whereas spotify actually feels like it 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 fulfills its purpose purpose per, per, yeah perfectly um i i would say that i have no idea what is going to happen um going forwards like I, I think about this a lot i can't even fathom what's going to happen but i'm confident that it's going to like bands will find ways to evolve with it i don't think it's gonna i think there's a lot of doom and gloom talk around spotify and it's like well if you embrace it then at least you can start to make the most out of it if you know what i mean um like they're they're putting in a load of new back-end things for allowing artists to get their upcoming songs playlisted with spotify much more easily which i'm literally going through now because i've forgot our record is out in next week and uh, i've not done anything with it yet <laughs> um, but like things like that it's like spotify want their bands to be successful they want it to be the biggest thing in the world so they're gonna work with you it, no one is no one is no one from the program is trying to bring bands down because if bands stop making money and can't afford to put music out then they've got nothing to sell they haven't got a product you know what i mean so i i i think it's going to change i just can't fathom how that's for uh people with far more invested in it than myself to uh to come up with i think so uh just finishing off man um outside of uh, Kirsty's Metal Hands which I'm assuming and hoping is a reference to Peepshow yeah, um, that's the best thing I've ever heard um, outside of that with which is the split uh, the split record with Pine uh, another very sick band um, uh, that's coming out really soon isn't it uh, next Friday Friday yeah. 16th yeah. yeah I thought it was uh, incredibly soon um, anything else you've got worked out apart from that and the tour in the UK for October um, are you guys that have, are you the kind of band that like plan things out in advance or are you just like wouldn't it be sick if we toured this place and like, oh, let's go tour this place tell us really funny we're the sort of band where things happen to us and we go oh cool that's happening now like It'll be like every time I think, God, it's getting a bit quiet, I'll get an email in my uh, inbox like, oh, so we're doing that now, are we? Cool. And it, it, it is very weird that the second I start to get like, God, what are we going to do for the next six months that a load of stuff will just happen? So um, I don't know. We're, we're going to put out something else this year. Um and we are in talks about doing more touring next year but realistically we're going to focus on writing and recording album two i'd like to get it done next year but who knows um that's going to be the the focus of, of what we do there's some festivals that i'd like to play that i'm hoping we can do and you know i'd like to do some more touring but I think it's going to be a relatively quiet year. And now I've said that, you know, it's going to go crazy and we can do like only seven festivals. three albums. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think I, every time I think this band is starting to plateau or stagnate, something ridiculous happens. So I'm kind of 
beyond uh, beyond planning now. Uh, I'm just gonna, I think, get to the point where if cool stuff stops happening, I'll make it happen. But otherwise, I'm happy to just uh, keep keep riding the wave and um, and try not to get shit as bands often do. Dude, it has been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you, man. I've been uh, really looking forward to doing this for uh, for a long time. I will be at the Flapper in Birmingham uh, for you tour. I'll probably be the gods screaming every lyric. (laughs) That's going to be great. Uh, LL and playing that show as well. They are amazing. Man, I saw after the burial the, the flapper uh, literally Monday just gone. Um, the the thought of you guys in there is, is harrowing, um, <laughs> but I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Man, that'd be absolutely amazing. Um, Matt, I'm still in love with uh, the uh, Maya. It's still an amazing album, great achievement for you guys, and I'm really looking forward to what comes next. Man, I'll be checking out uh, Kirsty's Metal Hands uh, with Pine, and I might just laugh the whole way through, man, because I love that you've called it Kirsty's Metal Hands. Because I'm uh, me and my co-host for this podcast, Sam, are massive Peep Show fans. Man. Oh, amazing! So uh, you were at uh, Tangent next week. I'm not at Arc Tangent. That was the one I've done. Um, download uh, two thousand trees, and I'm doing blood. I'm doing Bloodstock Saturday. Oh, shit. Okay. W- work, work pretty much said to me, "Don't you dare come and book one more festival off." Um, uh, what uh, what t-shirt size are you? Uh, I'm a large. Cool. I will save you one of the exclusive Kirsty's My Hand shirts that we're doing because they're really, really stupid, and I think you'd enjoy it. You are the greatest person, man. That's amazing. It's, it's true. It's been said. No. Um, yeah. Cool. No. Uh, honestly, it's, it's been it's been a pleasure. I I like talking about music far more than listening to it or playing it. So. To, um, <laughs> best of luck with everything that's coming up this year, man. I've got absolutely no doubt you're going to smash it. Can't wait to see you in October. Oh, oh uh, neither neither can I. <laughs> Take care, man. Catch you a bit. Bye.